Hi, One Goal community. It's Elaine Boyd, Pelotonia's Event and Volunteer Operations Coordinator. Since 2008, Pelotonia has raised over $236 million for innovative cancer research. And thanks to our partners, 100% of those funds have gone directly to research at the James at Ohio State. Together, we will see an end to cancer. To get involved in our one goal, visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org or click on the link in the episode notes. This podcast is powered by Pelotonia. To learn more about our goal 10 cancer, visit pelotonia.org or see the link in the show notes. I loved how uh, I loved how proactive the mission is at Pelotonia. It's kind of taking the fight to cancer. It's not what you can do. You just need to focus on what you can do. And so what we all can do, those of us who have the health today, is to, you know, get on our bike and pedal. Welcome to One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. We're a passionate community dedicated to funding innovative cancer research. I'm your host and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Your journey with us to the finish line begins now. Pelotonia is powered by an unstoppable community, and it's through research we will see an end to cancer. We want to thank our major funding partners for making all of this possible. The American Electric Power Foundation, Huntington, the L Brands Foundation, and Peggy and Richard Santulli. When you're done experiencing this episode, we'd be honored if you could leave a review or share it with family and friends. This really helps extend the impact of this series and helps further our one goal. And now, on to the episode. We are super excited to have two really special guests today on the One Goal podcast, Brent Palmer and Bill Whistler, who each have their own stories of a cancer journey uh, in different ways, and their stories collide uh, really in the 2021 ride. So super excited to have you both on and welcome. Thanks. Appreciate having us. Let's start off with with quick introductions, uh, Bill. Let's uh, like give us the who you are, where you're from, where you grew up. That whole sort of quick, yeah, quick story. Uh, my name's Bill Whistler. Um, I think 62 years old today. I think that's <laughs> I think that's what the number. Last you checked. Yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm 12. Sometimes I feel like I'm 112. Born and raised in Dayton. Uh, went to University of Cincinnati. I co-op with this company by the name of Shook Construction starting in April 1978 and I still work for the company. Um, I'm now chairman of the board and it's been kind of a cool deal. That's awesome. And uh, Brent, Brent, what about you? Uh, yes, sir. I am. Uh, I was born and raised in Great Falls, Montana. Uh, my family is in the Air Force and so I spent the first uh, 13 years of my life there. And then my dad got stationed at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force, which is where we live today uh, in the Dayton area. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been great. Awesome. So, Bill, let's start with your your cancer story, and, and, yeah. and your story is really that of you know somebody who is along for the ride and a caregiver, and it's always a such a unique and interesting perspective. And would just love to dive into that a little bit. So, I married Kate in 1997, and uh, Kate was a lot younger than I. She was 13 years younger than me. So, we always kidded that you know. She's going to be taking care of this old guy late in life and all this good stuff. And and sometime in 2016, she just was feeling lousy. She was an athlete, played soccer at IU, um, was playing soccer, you know, into her 40s. And uh, 
very competitive and, and athletes are in tune with their body, right? Yeah. Something's not quite right. They know it. So finally, I mean, we were going to church one evening and one of my kids was having confirmation or something. And we're actually walking from the parking lot into the church. My daughter's already in the church getting ready to be confirmed. And I got two Kates in my life. My daughter, Katie, was working in the ER that night. So she says, I think I'm going to call Katie and see what the ER load is down at uh, Miami Valley South. She calls Katie and um, says, not anybody here, come on down. So we just went in, gave me a kiss, and we hopped in the car and went down to Miami Valley South. And they came in and did a chest x-ray. And uh, Katie said, well, that's why you can't, you're having trouble breathing. I mean, half of your lung capacity is gone. You're filled up with fluid, something's not right. And then about that time, the ER doc walks in and puts his hand on Kate and he says, say, I'm sorry, honey, but there's a large mass on your ovary and it's likely it's malignant. We're going to move you downtown. It was surreal. It was like... Just like I, that. I was, I was one, I went to hit like the rewind button and back it up. And that's when the whirlwind, you know, that we all experienced, right? That's when the whirlwind starts and, the, you know, the tornado starts spinning. And, uh, you know, from that point forward, our, our, our life was turned upside down. Did you guys get the drive to the other hospital or did they take her by ambulance? They transported her. I followed her. Okay. And we landed at Miami Valley Hospital. I'm really curious if driving from that one hospital to Miami Valley, Kate's in the ambulance, you're driving in the car. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Like it was, like it was right now. It's surreal and you're in, you know, you're, uh, you can't believe it. So you go through all the stages, right? You just can't believe it. I can't believe it. Maybe you're pinching yourself. You're blinking your eyes. You're trying to wake up from this dream, this nightmare, this terrible thing. And it's like, oh my God, this is real. Once we got to the Valley, we got hooked up with an oncologist. We ended up going to Columbus and talking to the people at Riverside and the people at Ohio State. And so we ended up choosing to get our care at Riverside only because Kate knew everybody at Riverside. In my business and in Kate's business, we build hospitals. That's one of the things we do. So we knew a lot of people and we hooked up with a, a gen onc and a colorectal onc. And so we got great care there. Yep. And, uh, and we had a consult at the James, but that was surgery one of three, you know, we spent three years, you know, fighting it. And at the end of that three years, deciding how to get her to the finish line with Grace. And uh, she was a warrior. She was great. She was fantastic. Taught us all so much about how to live life, you know, and how to treasure life and how to treasure today and not worry about tomorrow. We lost Kay, but we didn't lose her spirit. And we yeah. learn the lessons that she taught us, and they inform us every day on how to live our life uh, with uh, just a lot of richness. You know, as you reflect back on on those three, you know, three years, um, what did you learn being a caregiver? And I think being a caregiver is really hard. I mean, you learn how much you love somebody. I mean, it was an honor for me. 
Kate had a, one hell of a network. I mean, she has a big, huge, loving family. Um, if, if you went to a party, you know, you knew where Kate was because everybody's all gathered around her. And uh, so for me to be that primary caregiver was an honor. And uh, it was great. I mean, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, I wouldn't, I'm not saying it wasn't hard at times, but uh, sure. they're doing the work, you know, they're, they're doing the work, right? We're just helping, helping them along. So just taught me to toughen up and, uh, and uh, not take things for granted. And, and uh, when I feel good, feel good about feeling good. When I feel bad, know that I don't feel half as bad as a lot of people. So I want to switch gears a little bit, and and I know you know there's a tie um, between Kate and Brent, um, you know, through playing soccer, and you know Brent, you're in your your early to mid twenties, and um, you know the year 2020, 2020 wasn't so good for you uh, in a lot of ways, and and would love to hear you know that story from your perspective, and you know hear what that journey was like for you. Before that, kind of speaking on how kind of you know. I crossed paths with Kate. Um, it was it was it was through soccer, and it was it was at a time in her her life where um, she was still kind of just going through that early stages of um, diagnosis, and it was still. I met her, and uh, did not occur to me that that was a person that was dealing with something that was of that nature. Um, just the way she was lived her life and conducted herself, you would have never guessed in a million years that she had those struggles and issues. That now, with hindsight being twenty twenty, I can very much relate to understanding what that feels like and you know, the toll that takes on you. And so it was a real testament to her and, you know, the way that she kind of lived her life. Um, but yeah, was she, was she was, open? Was she open with her cancer with people? You know, you guys were playing soccer together. Did she share that she had been going through that? She didn't. I didn't know that that was yeah. something that she was going through, but again, you know, I knew what cancer was. I knew it was a disease that was, you know, terrible and affected so many people, but I didn't really understand the magnitude of it, but I never would have guessed that you know, Kate had been going through the struggle that she had just based on, you know, her demeanor and her, you know, positive attitude and, and things like that. So it was a real, again, with hindsight, a real encouragement to kind of look back and see, you know, someone live so positively. And so, you know, with just such a great perspective. So that was a really neat perspective, yeah. again, that I didn't really get to appreciate until, you know, after I had gone through what I had gone through looking back. And so you, you encountered your own, uh, your own story um, there in 2020 and, you know, describe the sort of lead up to, to your diagnosis and and what that was like for you. Yeah. Um, very similar to how, um, Bill had described Kate. I was uh, 25 years old at the time and I was very active. I played similar to Kate. I played college. I played soccer in college for four years. And after I graduated, played three, four or five times a week, as much as I can, very active with, I love to run, love to work out. I was working full time. I was coaching a high school team. I'm coaching a club team, just very busy. I liked filling up the days. I was really at a point where I thought I was just kind of on top of the world. And then, um, right early February, late January, I kind of started just not feeling the best. Being like the athlete and the competitor and probably the ignorant person I am at sometimes I just tried to just push forward a little bit and just kind of I'll sleep it off or kind of jump back and forth between antibiotic and antibiotic and 
I spent two or three weeks kind of going back and forth between urgent cares, trying to figure out like what was wrong with me. And some, I just got diagnosed with pneumonia and strep throat and uh, immune infection. And they just kept kind of throwing uh, different antibiotics at me. And, and so ba- jumping back and forth between all these things, I remember just being really frustrated. I don't enjoy being sick, not like anyone does, but I remember just being very limited in the things I was able to do. I remember getting out of bed in the morning and trying to walk to the refrigerator to make breakfast. And I remember by the time I got from my bed to the refrigerator, I like had to stop and like sit down because I was at a loss for breath. I called my parents and I kind of discussed like what I was feeling and they told me to make an appointment with my primary care physician, which I did. And so went to that appointment um, and I got my, uh, got some blood work done. After the blood work was over, I had to call my, I had to call my mom to come pick me up because I, I didn't feel strong enough to be able to like drive home. My mom came and got me and she drove me to the house, to my parents' house where I laid down and kind of rested for a little bit, kind of regained some gradual strength. I woke up feeling slightly better and I remember being awake for probably 10, 15 minutes. Um, and I got a call from my primary care physician and I answered it and I was, hello, this is Dr. Riddle from Kettering Health Medical Center. Uh, we got your blood work back and um, I need you to go check yourself into the emergency room like as soon as possible. They did some more blood work and my doctor had described to me on the phone that I had a very high elevated white blood cell count and that my hemoglobin and red blood cell count and platelets were very low. Uh, at the time, I had no idea what those words even meant. And so I kind of didn't really think anything of it. Just, you know, oh, maybe just a bad test, give me some medicine and those numbers will kind of realign and we'll just move on from there. I remember the doctor coming in and um, after we did some more blood work and kind of gave a very long elaborated response as to like what the tests mean and all those different things. and. I remember he said, you know, it's a, at this point, we could either point to either some type of uh, leukemia or lymphoma. It really didn't really hit me like right away. I remember looking at my mom who also didn't hit her right away. She was very calm and it was like, almost like didn't hear what he had to say. Like, she heard the words, but kind of didn't understand in the same facet. Um, and she kind of explained it again. And I remember just, you know, that onset of confusion and worry and fear and all those things kind of creeping in. I stayed the night at Kettering uh, Medical Center and then the next morning I was transferred um, to the James at Ohio State, um, which is where I received all my treatment. I remember the, the ambulance ride from Kettering to the James being very uh, eerie. It's not a, not a super quick drive, especially by ambulance. The two gentlemen that were working in the ambulance, they were very great, they were very kind. As we were getting going, the one guy asked me if I wanted to listen to any music. And I was just like, I don't know what music you listen to when you just got told you got diagnosed with leukemia or lymphoma. And I just remember just like this. I mean, I don't, how do you listen to music right now? I just, I just have so many, yeah. so many questions. So, so much many running through your head. You know, I, I remember that. And then we get to the James and I remember being at the James and being immediately flooded with nurses, PCAs, doctors that were just, incredibly kind and compassionate i remember being not that i wasn't taken well care of at, at kettering they did a great job but i just remember just the the level of trust i felt just kind of as soon as you walk in the building i mean you walk into james and you look around and you think man this is a state-of-the-art building here this yeah. is this is this is the real deal i got diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia my doctor the oncologist at the time came in and kind of sat down with me and my mom and my dad in the room and he spent three hours at eight o'clock at night talking to me and my parents about treatment options the future diagnosis all that stuff and man 
talk about information overload. It was, I mean, at a certain point, I almost kind of just checked out mentally because I just didn't have enough mental yeah. stamina to be able to follow all was happening there. That's and why so, it's so important to have someone with you or multiple yeah, people with you to, oh, for sure. to just listen. For sure. That's why I love how intentional Pelotonia is with uh, highlighting caregivers as well, because I mean, that role is so important. I got diagnosed uh, February 27th of 2020. I started chemo uh, March 1st at the James. I was at the James for about 35 days, I believe, for my first wow. round of chemo. The first kind of seven to 10 days in my particular room at the James. I had lots of people, lots of friends coming in. Obviously, it was a big kind of shock and awe factor. And I felt incredibly supported. And I remember there being a certain point once COVID started to, to creep in and, you know, regulations and visitor things started to roll forward at the James. Now it's just, I get one person all day and then that's it. Um, I remember that being a huge kind of huge like light switch, lights on and then boom, it's off. It was a very tough mental hoop to jump through. You know, kudos to the James for recognizing the power of, of having, you know, that one visitor a day. Some hospitals around the country didn't let anyone have any visitors. Yeah. Um, and I was, and I was fortunate enough to have my mom be there with me uh, the entire time. She stayed the night with me every single night um, that I was at the James. I, I look back and I, I can't imagine what those moments would have looked like, um, you know, kind of going through those alone. So I was incredibly thankful and blessed that I was able to kind of go through that with my mom all at the same time. You remember the day when first got to go outside and like what that felt like? I remember it being kind of an eerie feeling because when I had first got into the James, uh, the place was booming. I had a really nice room where I could look outside and I saw uh, the football stadium. Just looking outside, I'm just thinking it was, you know, it was cool to be around like a very bustling and kind of busy area. Um, and but by the time I was cleared to go outside, you know, those restrictions had rolled in. And I remember I walked outside, I walk outside with my little medical pole and I got, the, I'm all hooked up and whatnot. I roll out there and there is nobody there. That is just like an eerie silence yeah. to the space. And I remember being thankful to feel the fresh air. I remember very getting very emotional just walking outside. It's not something you don't really think about the ability to go outside, you know, when, you know, everybody can just go outside, but when that ability is kind of taken away from you and then you're able to do it for the first time in three to four weeks. So it was, it was, it was, it was neat. How long did your treatment go beyond those first, you know, 30 plus days? Um, so after my first 30 plus days, I had four more uh, cycles of chemotherapy um, that were uh, four weeks spread apart and that were a week, a week each time. So I went in um, April, May, June, and my last therapy, chemotherapy session was in uh, July. And those were for a week at a time. I'd go there and I'd stay. I'm very blessed to be able to say that my first 30 days at the James, I was able to um, get into remission. I was able to get into remission after the first cycle of chemotherapy, which is a very um, kind of rare occurrence for kind of the diagnosis that I had had. Um, so July of 2020 would have been my last uh, cycle of chemotherapy, all of which I completed uh, at the James. Did you ring the bell? Oh, I did ring the bell. I did ring the bell. And I was very fortunate during my last cycle, I had walked and I had met a really cool guy who had lived right next door to me. And we got to chatting and talking for hours and hours. And it was a really cool experience. And I remember telling him, you know, this is my, this is my last week. I'm very excited. He's like, you get to ring the bell. And, you know, we had all these great conversations and I told him, yes, I do get to ring the bell. And then I got to tell him, you know, I was a little disappointed that I only get one visitor because I mean, I'd love for my mom and dad to both be able to be here to, to see me ring the bell. He went on to say, well, I don't have anyone um, planning to come and see me that day. If you want, I can give you 
my visitor and you can, just oh, wow. have, you know, the other one of your parents come. And so both of my parents got to be there and it was, man, what a, what a moment. Funny enough, I was able to see him the next time I went for my checkup appointment and big hug, started crying as soon as I saw him because I mean, that was such a special moment. And as much as I worked to get there, I know my parents worked just as hard and in different ways to get there as well. So to be able to share that with them, um, I was, a, was such a, such a neat experience. Let's shift gears a little bit and, you know, I want to talk about Pelotonia and I know Pelotonia is something special to both of you and, um, you know, Bill, I think 2018 was your first year doing it. You know, Kate was, was still going through her cancer journey at that time. And, you know, what got you into Pelotonia? What, you know, what was it that just, you know, you said, I'm going to do it this year. A lot of things collided for one, you know, we were right in the midst of a battle. So it was really fresh. And then uh, I have a good friend, Tracy Schweikert. She invited me to participate and uh, very cathartic. You know, it's like I tell people, you know, there's so much of this cancer stuff that you are not in control of. And so you have this desire to be able to control something, right? And the something we healthy folk can control is our ability to do something and to raise funds that will create research that will find a cure, right? So for me, it was wonderful. And, um, you know, by reaching out to friends and family, um, it enabled them to have an opportunity to do something. Yeah. Right? They, they, you feel you feel so helpless, right? It's a yep. patient or a caregiver, family. And then, so what, you know, uh, it's not what you can do. You have to need to focus on what you can do. And so what we all can do those of us who have the health today is to, you know, get on our bike and pedal and every, everybody's been touched. Yep. I've right never there. met anyone that didn't have a connection right. to cancer in some way. Right. And I always try to just expand the team, you know, and Brent was part of that expansion. Once he got healthy, he couldn't wait to like be a part of that. Right. So he flipped the script. He went from patient to now he's like big fundraiser guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> Brent, when did you learn about Pelotonia? Did you know about Pelotonia before you had been diagnosed or was it after your diagnosis that you learned about Pelotonia? I did not know anything about Pelotonia. Bill was the one who told me what the organization was and what you guys do. And I remember being hooked from the minute that Bill sold it. I loved it. How, how proactive the mission is at Pelotonia. It's kind of taken the fight to cancer. My first year riding was the, uh, was the virtual ride it would have been in 2020. And I was just out of chemo, maybe six weeks out of chemo. Um, and so they did like a virtual challenge and I did a uh, 91 laps around a, uh, around a track, which ended up being 22.75 miles. I, I ran that. Um, the reason I chose, the reason <laughs> you I believe, chose. You believe that? It's crazy, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah, how in the world did you come up with that number? I could have helped you pick a lower number. Yeah. <laughs> The reason I chose uh, 91 was because uh, there's a Bible verse, a Bible passage, uh, Psalms 91, which is a huge, um, huge driving force for me. And so that was my first experience with Pelotonia. This last year was my first experience riding it um, with Bill. And so, I mean, I've just been hooked ever since. So you both sign up for the Sunday 100 uh, in 2021, which is a new route for us. Uh, It was a loop route from New Albany. So the Sunday hundreds, I, I want to hear the story of each of your Sundays, you know, from, from each of your perspectives. Um, Bill, I know that was not the first uh, time you were on a bike that weekend. Yeah. So 
I was in Milwaukee on Saturday. I qualified for USA Triathlon uh, Age Group Nationals and just happened to be in Milwaukee and it happened to be on the Saturday morning. So I'll drive to, I'll drive to Milwaukee on Friday. I'll go to uh, a Brewers game, have a beer and a hot dog, get up Saturday morning, <laughs> get up Saturday morning and did a, a Olympic distance triathlon. So got that done and uh, got cleaned up and got in the car and, and drove back uh, to Columbus. Got up at O-Dark 30 and uh, met this crazy knucklehead Brent in the dark. We ended up like getting right where we were supposed to be right at the same time in the dark. I don't know how that happened, but um, I get there and I had, I had tried not to be like the mother hen, you know, and like coaching him through this training and all this good stuff. Cause I knew he has a lot going on. I played soccer five times a week. He's coaching all these kids and all this stuff. So I remember we're there in the early morning hours and I finally say, so I say, you know, how, you know, how'd your training go? How much did you, did you do? And he said, well, you know, I, I got a 50, 55 mile bike ride. And I, I got one of those in. Like when I heard that answer, I go, you know, this might be kind of a tough day, but by golly, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to get through it. <laughs> so that was this, that was the setup for what turned out to be just a, a wonderful Sunday ride, really. So, so take us through the, the day and the start. And, you know, I, I think anyone that's done a hundred miles on a bike, you know, you quickly realize it's like the bulk of your day is on a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot happens you know, over a hundred miles, lots of different conversations and signs and stops and all sorts of stuff. I remember looking around being one of the younger kind of competitors and, and, and bikers that were there. And I remember looking around and very ignorantly and very competitively thinking, I might, I might win this thing. I'm like the youngest <laughs> person. Here. I think I got a shot at getting on the podium here. The, I don't know. the secret of cycling know. is the young guy never wins. <laughs> exactly. Exactly quickly learned that was not the case. And so the first 20, 25 miles, I got to ride with Bill and Emily is her name. Great biker, great biker. About 10 to 12 miles after that first rest stop, my training is starting to fail me at this point. And so Emily and Bill, who are fantastic bikers, and I will just say this because he won't say it. Bill is like the best athlete I've ever seen in my entire life. Anyway, we get to a a point where Emily and Bill are starting to distance themselves a little bit. And I wanted to not be a burden to anyone. I wasn't trying to keep anyone back from, you know, getting to their time and whatnot. And so they were kind of casually going up a little bit and I was kind of just casually lingering behind. But one of my favorite parts about the race is um, I had the Pelotonia bike shirt on and on the back of mine, it said survivor, um, which I thought was really cool. And as I would go, I would have so many people who would pass me randomly that would maybe stop and ride with me for two to three minutes and talk to me about my story. The community and the camaraderie like within that was so special because like, it took me to a place where maybe I was biking for a few minutes by myself thinking like, man, my legs are killing me. And then I have a wonderful gentleman come up next to me and ask me about my story. I get to hear a little bit about his and I get a five, 10 minute energy boost because of this, the strength I get to draw from that. So I remember that part being very special. By this time, Bill and Emily have far separated from me it would have been somewhere before the second rest stop i believe um we're biking and i remember seeing a guy off to the side fixing a tire and i remember being like man that would be so unfortunate and the closer i get uh it happens to be bill they stacked bill's bike on the van and drove him to the next rest stop so he could get his stuff met up with bill at the next rest stop and then this is again a testament to bill's athleticism and competitive drive 
he probably missed probably I'd say maybe six to seven miles of the race because he got on the van to take him to the rest stop. Sure. Those still a much faster biker than me. What he would do is he would bike in front of me and he would get up several hundred yards and then he would turn around and come back and meet me. And then we'd go up again and he'd turn around. He did that all the way until he got even with his hundred miles. So there's two types um, of people. There's like people that would be totally over the moon and satisfied if their odometer read 98.6 miles <laughs> and there's people yeah. that would be more disappointed yep. than anything else in their lives that it didn't yeah. say a hundred I'll, I'll sort of set up some of the the finish because you know our entire team's there we've were you know we've got microphones and music playing and a woman and people that are clearly like family and friends comes up and says my son brent is finishing soon can you call his name out so then we knew you guys were coming uh, which was super exciting. And, and I think similar to your cancer experience, you had a whole support crew there waiting for you. So what were those last couple miles like? My legs were on zero. I had nothing left in the tank. The last 20 miles was just pure willpower and Bill just dragging me to the finish line. I rounded the corner and I see the big banner of Pelotonia and I see the finish line. I see the people and I see a loud rambunctious family on the side that from a distance I can already know is my family who are the greatest in the world and I remember my name being announced and I remember coming across the finish line and I remember my first thought was just man I need to get off this bike like as soon as possible I need to not be on I need to I need to, I need to not be on a bike uh, at all anymore the announcer the lady who was kind of you know announcing people as they came in I remember her saying something along the lines of he's a cancer survivor and like all of that emotion just started flooding back into me and physically emotionally mentally i just like, i just like fell down i remember just getting up and embracing my parents and turning around and, and seeing bill there it's just man a a moment that i will cherish for the rest of my life yeah what was it like for you bill it was incredible you know we, we were getting there and you know he, he did have a tough last 19 and a half miles but that last half a mile hell i couldn't catch him he was on fire he was coming in that finish line hot he drops his bike i drop my bike and it's you know it's just like being so proud of somebody who's like one of my kids you know and understanding what all he's gone through and and to in such short order right <laughs> i assume i'm going to put you on the spot here but i assume we've we're going to have you both back for 2022 Oh yeah, <laughs> no doubt. I'll I'll certainly be there. I'll certainly be there. And kind of going off what you'd said a little bit. One of my goals when I had first gotten sick, I kind of before my treatment started, kind of came to the decision that I was going to take more away from cancer than what cancer was going to take away from me. Um, and in hindsight, kind of looking back, what did cancer take away from me? Several months of my life, what was I able to take away from cancer? Uh, you know, a relationship with Bill and be able to experience some of those moments that. Pelotonia has been a great platform for. And so I'm super thankful for the organization of Pelotonia and Bill for introducing me to it. Well, I don't, I don't think you could say it any better than that. And I mean, we're super grateful to have both of you as part of the Pelotonia community and I'm excited for people to hear this. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. Thank you for having us on, sir. This has been One Goal, a storytelling podcast from Pelotonia. I'm your host, cancer survivor, and president of Pelotonia, Joe Apgar. Interview and production scheduling by our marketing and communications team, Gabby Blauert, John Tolbert, and Alita Smith. 
One goal is carefully crafted and produced at the studios of Wessler Media. Mastering by Joey Gerwin at Orange Udio. Special thank you to all of our guests for being willing to share their inspiring journeys for this podcast. Also, please rate, review, and subscribe so you can get seasons one and two as well as future episodes. If you want to learn more about the Pelotonia community and how you can make an impact on cancer research, see the link in the show notes or visit pelotonia.org. That's pelotonia.org.